And I'm going to start a series on families today. Everybody say families. families. It's, it's hard to start and give you a good foundation of how incredibly important our families are to God. About how important it is for us to be raising up good, godly children and grandchildren and even ourselves being focused on Him to be able to raise up godly families. Can somebody say amen this morning? And as I begin this series, I want to just, Nehemiah 4 is where we're going to go this morning. So if you want to begin to turn there in Nehemiah 4. I really had this strongly on my heart since the beginning of the year to do three or four weeks. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about raising kids. We're going to talk about a lot of different subjects over these next three to four weeks. But today I went a little bit different direction, kind of felt led Um, to talk about generations. Everybody say generations. God is a tri-generational God. He's the God, it says, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And any time that you teach on families, especially in a church setting, you can have, I think, one of two attitudes. You can either have the attitude of, well, my family is perfect and we don't need to hear anything you're about to say. Or my family is so messed up, there's no help for us. And can I tell you, the truth is somewhere in the middle, as it always is. Because you're sitting amongst a group of people, myself included, that we have jacked up families sometimes. Amen? Amen. And God, in His Word, gives us principles. He gives us a way that we can study and look at what He desires from us. And today, I delay the foundation. I want to talk about generational blessings that God wants to pass down from generation to generation. That when we follow God and live by His principles, then we can begin a generational chain of blessings that he wants to pour out upon our families that goes from generation to generation to generation. I am a product of generational blessings. You sitting here are a product of generational blessings. Um, how many had a praying grandma or a great-grandma or a mom or a dad or an uncle? or a cousin? Of course we did. And we, we're going to talk about those subjects today, about how very, generations are important to God how we desire to be a tri-generational church. So this is a lot of vision today. But it's also a challenge to young families and even grandparents that we are to be the ones that are to be the example in our families. We are the ones that are to be the ones who are focused on Him. And as he talks about in the Bible, that God is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because I believe that anything that we can accomplish in our lifetimes misses the mark. Because it's going to take a couple more generations, if the Lord tarries, it's going to take a couple of more generations to see the vision. When you have a vision from God for your family, and I encourage you to do that, because families with vision accomplish things for God in the earth. Churches with vision accomplish things for God in the earth. If the Lord tarries, and this amazes me, and I came across it just a few months ago, of of realizing that if the Lord tarries in 2029, we will celebrate 100 years as a church in Homeless House of Florida. That is amazing. And, And what we have that we're sitting in today and we enjoy and the church nucleus and the elders and all those who cause this church to be a church of outreach, a church of the Spirit of God moving, a church where people through the generations have gotten saved, healed, delivered, and discipled. Because I talked last week, and I'll say it again, our vision for this year is to seek the lost and disciple the found. Amen? Amen. 
And this message today goes along with that because there are people that paid a price in generations before us so that we could be the believers we are today. And we're sitting and enjoying. So when you have a vision, it's something that should really not say, well, I have a vision for the next five years or I have a vision for the next 10 years, but I have a vision for the next even 100 years. Nobody in this room will be here in 100 years, but if the Lord tarries, I want to know that we are passing our faith off to the next generation. The Bible says very clearly in it that our children shall be like fruitful vines around the table. The table of God is set in this season and it's it's moving in such a way that God is going to raise up a whole generation of on fire young people and carry this thing forward. Amen. Amen. Are you in Nehemiah 4? Look down here at verse 13. We'll begin there and see what the Lord says, says to us today. This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah has been given the king's seal to go back to Jerusalem because he is going to rebuild the walls that were broken down. Jerusalem had been overrun. The people were put in exile. God's time was up and his plan was to have the people of God come back and to begin to rebuild, begin to focus on him again, be able to celebrate the festivals and all the different things. So Nehemiah was tasked with that task and he sent back and we're going to pick up here in verse 13 of when, how many understand that when you do begin to build something of faith in your family or build something of faith in a community or build something of faith in your extended family, you may be the first one to ever call upon the name of Jesus. But I came to tell some of you today that if you'll continue to stand, God's going to bless your future generations. And as Nehemiah comes back, he is thinking of and he's getting the people to focus that what we are battling and what we are doing right now in this moment is not just for us, but it's for our families and the future generations. The church is being called by the Holy Spirit. Not even plan on saying any of this, but I'm going to say it to this group of people who call this church home. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you and so glad you're here. But for those who call Christian Center Church home, we are in a battle for our families. The marriage is under attack. Our children are under attack. The sway of culture begins to lay hold of them. And it is going to cause some people to hopefully hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that gives us confidence that we can rebuild broken down walls in our generation. That we can rebuild a legacy of faith for our children and our children's children and their children. So look at verse 13 in Nehemiah 4. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Father, today, as we seek you, as we come into your presence as we have, we know that the Spirit of God is hovering here. So as you hover, Lord, I pray whatever said of Jason Hanks would fall by the wayside. But whatever you can do in the miraculous speaking of the word and preaching of the word would build our faith today. That would cause us to see our lives as being poured into the next generation. That, Father, today you would bless us by the hearing of the word to strengthen our families and our children and our children's children today. Father, we love and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 
Everybody say, fight for your family. Fight for your family. Let me tell you something. If you keep reading in verse 20, it says that God was going to fight for them because they were willing to fight for their families. I want to tell you that there is a battle, there is a fight, but we are victorious because we fight on the side of God. So when here in Nehemiah, when it's said that Nehemiah is trying to encourage them to face the people who had come along, that really in the story, they weren't even trying to to attack them. They were using their words. How many know that the enemy only has words to use against you sometimes? Because we're protected and we're covered by God. And then he runs into opposition and the people of God run into opposition. And whenever you're going to do something for God, you are going to run into opposition. As we study this over the next few weeks, when you begin to take a stand in your own family and you're raising your kids and you begin to lay some principles of God's word, you begin to take a stand and say, that is something we do not do. And when your kids say, well, why don't we? You can tell them very clearly because we live for God. This is a household that honors God. This is a household that isn't going that way in that direction, but he's reading them that the people are depending on them to get to this moment. And here's what I want to talk about specifically today is what legacy are you leaving your family? What legacy? Because God is a God of legacy. God is a God of passing things down. And I want to talk today about how do we move our families towards the things of God? What are the things of God that we can take a stand on and begin to move our families towards? It can be the sanctity of marriage. Amen? That's not a popular subject today, is it? So to have a family that honors marriage, if you want to have a family that honors marriage, listen, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want to have a family that honors the house of God and God, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want a family that's going to honor Jesus Sometimes you're going to have to fight for it. In other words, there is a fight for the next generation. There is a fight for their hearts and their minds. And the enemy has made tremendous inroads into their lives. But I stand before you today that the time is now that we see some victory in our families. That we see God move in a very profound way. When I talk about families, we all understand this. That literally psychologists and psychiatrists would say that we're all born with an inner script. Or we're all born with a way that we live that has been patterned for us by those who raised us, our moms, our dads, our uncles, our aunts, our grandparents, and others in our immediate family. We kind of run by a script. And Peter Scazzaro, who I've read many times, and he writes about spiritual formation, but he actually said this about families. We often underestimate the deep unconscious imprint our families of origin leave on us. In fact, it is my observation that it's only as we grow older that we realize the depth of their influence. How many have come to the realization as you've grown older of how you were raised has tremendously affected you? Raise your hand. Amen. I got some answers for you today. So what that's talking about and as we're talking today, is talking about family patterns or the way maybe you've heard around a dinner table about the way maybe great-grandma lived or the way great-grandpa lived or something of that nature. And the Bible's very clear of this, and this is the seriousness of what I want to talk about and minister on today. The seriousness is of this. If you look in a spiritual way at families, We understand that we are, of course, it's the classic nature versus nurture uh, uh, argument and and, or 
people kind of born the way that they are or they kind of raised the way that they are. But I do know this as we talk about this subject today. There clearly in the Bible is a, a warning and an understanding that the sins of the father can be passed down to three or four generations. So in other words, the consequences of the decisions that we make as parents, and I'm speaking to parents with kids here in the room, the consequences of the decisions that we make have an effect on our kids. Amen? And knowing that and understanding that puts the onus back on us as the parents and puts the onus back on us as grandparents to make sure that we're living a life that honors God Maybe you guys sang the song at one time, Oh, be careful little feet where you go. Yes. Oh, be careful little mouth what you say. Be careful. I think I want to say to a group of adults who have teenagers and who have young kids, Be careful big feet where you go. Be careful big mouth <laughs> what you say. And listen to me this morning. I, I struggle standing up here and talking about families because, again, I struggle with the same thing raising teenagers that everybody in this room struggles with. I struggle with the same challenges. I struggle with the same fears for them and their future and trying to just keep them focused in the right direction, making sure that homework gets done. Amen, somebody? Amen. Making sure they're in school when they're supposed to be and just all the things that I've walked through over the last couple of years of having now a 17 and a soon-to-be 15-year-old. Can't believe I'll have two driving. You may want to just clear the roads here in a few months. <laughs> just, Just... Anybody want to move? Just go ahead and, and do that now. You've got a year to find another place. But I began to realize and understand in studying this and also just knowing what the Word of God says that the way that we live has a tremendous impact on our kids. Yes. If, if we can model faith, listen, our kids are going to model faith. Yes. If we model faithfulness, Because as you look back through your generations, you can begin to look and see. And sometimes, I've made jokes about this too, and the Lord kind of convicted me one time. Because a lot of times we'll look back and we'll say, well, great-grandma so-and-so, she just had a horrible temper. temper, And I guess she's like great-grandma. What you see is a pattern that has a lot more to do with a spiritual fact than it does just happenstance of, well, great-grandpa was an alcoholic, and now this one's an alcoholic. You can begin to see patterns emerge in a family of things that get passed down from generation to generation to generation because we just randomly say, well, I guess that's just the way that it is. But if it doesn't line up with God's Word, it's not the way that it is. It's something that God wants us to evaluate, look at, and say, God, this is something that I see in my family line. It could be laziness. It could be anger issues. It could be addiction issues. It could be any issue that you talk about under the sun. And when you begin to pinpoint that perhaps it came through a family line, because generational curses are a very real thing. Let me say this. Generational consequences are a very real thing. But I love how God says that he will visit the iniquity to three and four generations. But when you follow God, he will bless you to a thousand generations. Because we serve a God who is a God of blessing. But listen, it takes somebody in a family to finally draw a line in the sand, church. And and as we go through this series, I want to teach you some very practical things. But I really felt like where we were going to go in the very beginning for everybody here, everybody. And you may say, well, I've already raised my family. I've already. Listen, you can be a godly example to your grandkids. 
You can be a godly, believe in God, live for God. And listen to me, those blessings will be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Because what we don't understand is the same way in the natural of when you visit a doctor and maybe you moved here and you had to find a doctor like I did a few years ago. When I popped in the doctor's office there and I sat down on the butcher paper, you know what I'm talking about? You know, that crackle, crinkle little thing? Butcher paper is what I call it. Sit down on the butcher paper and what, what did they begin to ask? They began to ask, do you have history of heart disease? Do you have history of diabetes? Do you have history of this? There's a natural application that flows into the spirit of, listen, they're asking, is there anything that runs through your ancestors that may have run to you? And if we understand the spiritual principle, and my big question today, and I'll go ahead and get to it, my big question in the whole sermon is going to be wrapped around this one thought. What kind of patriarch do you want to be for your family? What kind of patriarch? How many think of their family going back? And I'm just curious, you have a patriarch that you look back and say, that was a woman of faith, that was a man of faith, that was a man of God. They lived for God even though there was others around them that weren't. They continued to stand up and live for God. So my question, especially for our young families today, is this. When we understand that the things that we do, say, and involve ourselves in can inadvertently, and we don't understand this a lot of times, it can get passed down from generation to generation to generation and really what you see is a pattern begins to emerge. Maybe in your family, so-and-so was a liar. I love the Bible because the dysfunction of families is on full display all throughout the Bible. Abraham is called the father of faith. In Genesis 20, we see the tremendous blessing that is given to Abraham. I will bless you and your descendants, and all the people of the earth will be blessed because I'm blessing you. And then what you see is a pattern begin to emerge, and I believe this is there for our teaching and our instruction, our admonition, and even warning, because what do you see in Abraham's life is eventually he begins to lie. He lies about his wife, Sarah, being his wife. Well, then you jump down to Isaac, and you see that he had a problem with lying. And then you come down to Jacob, and you begin to see that his name was literally Deceiver. So you see this pattern begin to emerge in their life, and it doesn't stop there. When you look at the families of the Bible, especially Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then their descendants, you see estranged relationships. Or, or better put, you see favoritism, right? Yeah. They favored this one over that one, and that split up brothers. Jacob and Esau didn't get along, and he ran 10 years away from Esau and finally came back, and there was reconciliation. But my point is saying that just the same way you sit down at the doctor's office and you can evaluate and say, well, this runs through my family in a physical way. Maybe it's, you know, a health issue that you share with your doctor so they can keep tabs and begin to look at in your life is something going to manifest itself later on. In a spiritual way, when we study the Bible, we begin to look and see that these things get passed on and sometimes we don't even realize and know why. But I came to tell somebody today, just because it came to you doesn't mean it has to continue through you. 
Because when you bow your knee to Jesus, you may be starting an entirely brand new line that passes down not lying, drunkenness, stealing, and cheating, but you're passing down honesty, and you're passing down faithfulness, and you're passing down, I'm going to stay with my spouse because that's what God told me to do. I'm not going to run around. And that was another thing in the Bible. I mean, you look at Jacob had, had two wives and a couple concubines, and you know, you look at Abraham, and he had a baby with one of his servants, right? I love the Bible because it's real, but it also is there for our instruction of simply saying some things get passed down that we don't realize why we're battling something. And I came to tell you something this morning. You may be battling something because it was something that is coming through generations. There's been a door open to the enemy, and I just want to tell you today, we can shut that door. Listen. It's, it's like the newlywed couple that I heard about one time, and you may have heard this before too, so if you've heard it before, don't laugh until the end. Okay. <laughs> newlywed couple, they're in the kitchen, and the wife decides, she's like, you know, I, don't, I haven't cooked yet since we've gotten married, I'm going to go buy a ham. So she brings the ham in, and the husband is there in the kitchen talking to her, and when she gets the ham set on the counter, she cuts one end off, and she cuts the other end off. And the husband looks at her and he says, why are you cutting the ends of the ham off? She said, well, I don't know. That's what my mom did. And she said, I think it has something to do with it being more flavorful if you cut the ends of the ham off. So he was so confused. He said, you've got to call your mom and, and ask her why she cuts the ends of the ham off. So she called her mom and mom answered and she said, yeah, baby, what can I do for you? She said, mom, why did you always cut the ends of the ham off on the, the ham that you cooked? And she answered back. She said, I don't know. Grandma cut the ends of the ham off. But Grandma happens to be here. Let me get her on the phone. So Grandma comes over, and she says, the, the daughter asked, she said, Grandma, why, Grandma, why did you cut the ends of the ham off? And she said, well, honey, my oven was too small for it, so I just cut them off on each other. <laughs> do you realize there's a lot of things that we do, we say, and we react to? Because it's something that is just passed down from generation to generation. And it's, it's times when you're in prayer, you're in the Holy Spirit, you're focused on Him. And God will begin, and the Holy Spirit is such a genius, He'll begin to point back and say, for, for me in particular, and I'm going to use an illustration this morning, is that okay? You guys ready? That's a chain. Man, the things I do to preach to y'all. I had to go up to Ace Hardware <laughs> Friday, Saturday, yesterday morning, and the guy looked at me crazy. I said, I want two chains cut about a three-foot length. He said, amen. Take up a special offering for this too, man. I, yeah, how expensive everything's gotten. I'm like, Those, that's how much? That little old chain? But look, we, we have, uh, imagine this is your ancestors. You're, you're down here. And maybe... Great, 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 great grandfather dealt with alcoholism. I know in my family that was an issue going all the way back in my lineage or my line. And in understanding that, if you come to my house today, and this isn't a sermon on whether you can have a beer or a glass of wine, I just want to say for Jason Hanks, you won't find alcohol in my home. Why don't you find alcohol in my home? Because... I realized that in my ancestors' spiritual DNA was alcoholism. My dad's dad in particular, and then his dad, and then his dad's dad, so great-great-great-grandparents going all the way back, they actually lived up in the hills of Kentucky 
And when my grandfather was young, he was the oldest of 11, and they were moonshine runners. <laughs> That's a great family heritage, amen? <laughs> they ran moonshine. And understanding, because oftentimes we say, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so in my family, they could really just handle the alcohol, and we kind of chuckle about it. But listen, if you're not careful, those things can be passed down generationally. So my question again is what kind of patriarch, young families, what kind of patriarch do you want to be in and for your family? Because if you think about it, if, if it starts here, it just begins to come on down the line all the way down to here. And there's things that we're dealing with that we don't have an understanding of, we don't know why. And there could be a spiritual implication, just like in the natural, if the doctor's going to diagnose something, a lot of times we can pray and God can begin to show us things in the past that are affecting us today. And for me, speaking of my grandfather, I understand that there was alcoholism in my family. So what ends up happening to Jason Hanks? I started drinking at 13 years old. 13. 13 to 23, I was an alcoholic. My grandfather, can I tell you how he got saved? Never shared this before. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... When things are trying to get passed down, there has to be somebody who comes and changes the link. Because if alcoholism and the enemy wants to just pass that down from generation to generation, and a lot of my family are Irish, do I need to say any more? (laughs) Generation to generation to generation to generation. And it finally gets down here to the end, and the enemy thinks he's got a whole family tied up. I mean, church, you know of families that seem like Everybody ends up in jail. Come on. Everybody ends up broke. Everybody ends up pregnant out of wedlock. Everybody, there is more than just bad decisions tied to that. The enemy wants to take families captive and he wants to put them in chains. Amen. Wants to bind them up. And my grandfather was heading down this very same road. He was heading down a road where he would have carried on that line of alcoholism. And my grandfather got radically saved one night at church. And I've never told this story before, so don't gasp too loudly when I say this. My grandfather, C.E. Hanks, Reverend C.E. Hanks, went to church with a knife to kill somebody. This man had made advances, and even the story I got was had accosted the woman who would eventually become his wife, Dolores keys at the time, had accosted her, took her into the woods to have his way with her, and she got away, you know, ripped, and she was a little bit, you know, beat up from the encounter, and when my grandfather found out, you didn't mess with the Hanks up there in Johns Run, Kentucky, you didn't do it, you didn't mess with the Hanks clan, so he said, okay, he knew the man was going to be at church on that Sunday night, so he puts a knife in his pocket, sits on the very back row, and he's just waiting back there for the service to get done and this man to leave so he can follow him home. My grandfather was going to kill the man. But God. Because he didn't follow the man. God got a hold of my grandfather. God saved him that night. And God called him to preach and minister the gospel and he was a faithful pastor for 43 years. Because church, 
1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And just because it came to you doesn't mean it has to continue to flow through you down to the next generation. Because if you look back in your past and say, well, granddaddy was this and grandma was that and great grandpa was that. It can stop with you if you draw a line because the enemy wants to try to get those things passed down through your generations. And listen, what my grandfather was, was a new link. Amen? Who's going to be a new link in their family of faithfulness to God? Who wants to be a new link? And some, some of you may say, Pastor, I, I'm standing against just a tide in my family of nobody else are believers and nobody else follows God and nobody else loves God. Listen, you stand strong in your faith. It's kind of like a game we used to play growing up. We, the neighborhood I grew up in, we certainly didn't have a pool. We couldn't afford one. But a few doors up, one of my good friends had an above-ground pool. Amen? We were above-ground neighborhood. There was no in-ground pools in my neighborhood. And my mom just, we, three brothers, she used to just look at us and say, please just get out of the house. So we used to go up to a friend's house, and we'd all jump in there as friends. And here's, here's a game where we, we would play. Maybe you've played it before. And it was, it's, a, it's an above-ground pool game because it's called Whirlpool. Yeah, you guys know Whirlpool. Jason, you know what's up. Us 80s babies. We didn't have no Nintendo 64s, y'all. We had BB guns and beagles, and we got out. Left in the morning, and we'd come back when the lights came on, and sometimes we didn't even do that. And look, what we would do is get around the edge, and we'd all go in the same direction, right? And you would go in the, in the direction because it would begin to form a current that was circling and circling and circling until ever somebody would yell, okay, switch. And when you yelled switch, you would turn and you, but see, when we turned, it was hard to fight against the current. And some of you have made a decision that you'll be the first one to serve Jesus in your family and you're getting laughed at and you're getting chided and you're getting said you're crazy. But listen to me, you stand strong because there is generations that God wants to hook up onto you. Because again, it may have come to you, but it doesn't have to continue flowing through you. Because alcoholism was passed down from generation to generation in my family, I finally stood up and said, no, it stops here. And by the grace of God, you need to understand this. Sin travels through generations. It does. As much as we don't want to admit it, our decisions can set off consequences that even travels into our future generation. So as I begin this subject of families and we talked about, talk about over these next two, three weeks about how to have a good marriage, about how to raise your kids, about some practical relationship things, because these relationship things don't only have impact in our own lives. They'll have impact in our church family because that's what we are. We're a big family and we're only as strong as the weakest link. Amen. So what you do doesn't just affect you. You guys notice I'm wearing a tie today? Yes. I'm practicing for being that distinguished pastor. I've got a couple months, but I'm just getting, I'm getting ready. Showing you all that I'm serious today. Don't perpetuate into your future what has been done in the past. Amen? Amen. Don't perpetuate into your future what has been done in your past. Listen, I want to tell you something this morning. If you're in a family where you say, man, I'm just kind of ashamed. There's parts of my family that have been to prison and 
There's parts of my family that have died with needles in their arms. Can I tell you, it stops with you. It does. And that is not only possible, that is God's desire, is that when you take a stand, God will take a stand with you. Amen? What the enemy has convinced us, and this is for our families in here, what the enemy has convinced us is that what we do doesn't matter. But I came to declare to you and to say to you from the Word of God, the decisions you make to follow God matter tremendously, not just for you, not just for your immediate family, but for generation. How many are thankful you've got some generations in your past that follow God? I want to tell some of you, if you're the first one in your family, maybe for several generations that follow God, God is going to bless the generations after you. Because that's who he is. Amen? Amen. I mean, when I think of my family in particular and talking about my grandfather a lot, I had godly, I was very blessed to have godly grandparents on both sides of my family. My mom's parents were godly people. And, of course, my dad's dad was a pastor. And my grandma was a pastor's wife for all those years. And I remember sitting around with him and just trying for those last couple years of his life to sit with him regularly and just hear his wisdom he would teach me the Bible. He would share things with me. And I remember one day in particular, as I was sitting there talking to him, his Bible was laid open on the table before us. And when I glanced over, I saw a very long list there in the front page of his Bible. And I kind of glanced down. I couldn't really see what it said, but I just said, well, well Papa, what, what's that there? And he said, well, that's my prayer list. And I said, well, well, what's on it? And he said, the names of every one of your grandchildren. I said, what do you pray about? He said, well, the first thing I pray is that God would give you good, godly wives. And listen to me. Everybody on that list, I was thinking about this yesterday very deeply. Everybody on that list that I'm cousins with, and one of the strange things about that is with he had three kids. He had my dad, James, my aunt, Kathy, who was the youngest daughter, and my uncle, Paul. There were, I was trying to think, there were 14 grandkids, and they were all boys. That's why I say when he was praying for wives, he was praying for his grandchildren who were all males. And I got to thinking about all of my cousins that he prayed for regularly. I, I want to encourage you grandparents, pray for the future generations. When I say what kind of patriarch do you want to be, I think back of the kind of patriarch that he was in our family And our grandfather gave my family an identity, even though we weren't in church. There was an identity of this is a man who follows God. This is a man with integrity. This is a man who does what he says and says what he does. Amen? This is a man who was faithful to his wife, was faithful to the church. And the interesting thing about that is I began to ponder that yesterday about our family heritage and the generations being blessed is that a lot of times those blessings God wants to continue to pour through and into a family so that they propagate on down. So not only I thought of all my cousins, all my cousins are saved. They have good wives. I got a cousin pastoring in Birmingham, Alabama. Got a cousin uh, worship leader up in Massachusetts. I got cousins that are in business. Here's my point. They're blessed. Everybody say blessed. God wants your generations after you to be blessed. And in your families, you get to decide what kind of patriarch you desire to be. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about legacy. Everybody say legacy. Legacy. It's so important. And I was thinking about my grandfather and the legacy that he left. I began to think about, she didn't know I was going to share this. I began to think about my own wife's father 
Brother W.S. McMasters, he also pastored for 44 years faithfully to God, faithful to his wife, and everything else. And my, my point is this. Sometimes, church, there is a sacrifice that is made by one generation that flows down from generation to generation. And, and God will call us sometimes as maybe the one patriarch in the family that no matter what is going on around you, you're going to stay faithful to God. It's not just about you. It's about who's watching you. Yes. It's about you staying on praying ground and continuing to pray blessings over you. As a matter of fact, I want to prophesy to some of you right now in this yeah. moment that some of your kids and your grandkids, it seem like they are wayward and they're out there and they're not coming home. I declare in Jesus' name they're coming home. Amen. Do you believe that this morning? I'm, saying, I'm telling you from the Spirit of God that they're coming home. Train up a child in the way that they should go. When they are older, they will not depart from it. Why? Because there is a patriarch, there's a man and woman or either or of faith in that family that continues to stand in faith and pray blessings over their kids and their kids' kids. If the Lord tarries, their kids' kids' kids. I think of Leah's dad, and I don't, I've, I've never mentioned this. I don't think she necessarily has, even though in private conversations I have. Brother Mac was a... Tremendous, powerful man of God. Great legacy in Leah's family of faithfulness and and ministry. And his kids were all in ministry and Leah included and pastors and all the other different things. And I look back at his life and and realize that he was a phenomenal baseball player. Leah's dad was. As a matter of fact, he was a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. And in pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals, it came to a point where God, he knew God was calling him into the ministry, and God was laying on his heart that he would be in ministry. And Brother Mack was the type that if God was calling him, he was going to be obedient no matter what the cost. And the cost to him in that moment was he had to quit playing professional baseball to go into the ministry. You don't think God's going to bless generation after generation after generation for something like that? He absolutely is. And if I'm not here in a few weeks, you know my brother hit it big with Steph Curry. Amen? <laughs> I'm, just kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I said, don't forget about your pastor brother. Don't forget about me down at home Sassy, y'all. Don't forget. Because Billy Graham said it this way. He said exactly what I said a few minutes ago. It's not what you're passing down by way of the material. Or the things. And listen, some of you, I'm looking out there, some of you are blessed. And a lot of times we just have to stop with gratitude and say, we're blessed because of our family heritage. And you may be sitting here and think, man, my family's been a mess and been a mess for generations. Can I promise you, you take a stand and you follow God with obedience, you may not even see the fruit in your lifetime. But your future generations will see that fruit. When you're faithful to God, when you follow Him, I think of Leah's family, as I already mentioned, her dad laying aside what could have been a successful, he was a pitcher, a successful baseball career. Why? Because God was calling him to something more. That's my question that I want to ask the the parents in this room, is what kind of patriarch do you want to be? Do you want to be a patriarch that others look to in your future generations and say they followed God, they obeyed God, 
they did what God told them to say. Alexis, if you'd come. Brother, will you go in the back and let Leah know that in just a couple minutes we're going to be doing communion and they can come back in? Here's how I wanted to end today. You guys ready for some communion? We have communion today. We're going to enjoy the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. I read this several years ago, but it just fascinated me. But it gives an ending illustration to exactly what I'm talking about. There was a great preacher, and I know many of you have heard of him, probably read him and probably seen articles and maybe even read some of his books. But there's a great preacher in the 1700s named Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was incredibly intelligent, incredibly smart. Matter of fact, he went to Yale at the age of 13. I'm just trying to get my kids to put their shoes on the right feet. So I have nothing in common with Jonathan Edwards, except for our mutual love of God. He went on and became the president of Princeton University at the time. And he's known to be a man of great integrity. And he had 11 children. And his wife, Sarah, he married, I think, in 1723 or 32. I may be getting a little dyslexic on the number. But in the early 1700s, he married his wife, Sarah. They had 11 children. And and here's what I want to encourage you who say, I'm going to be the patriarch of my family. I'm going to be the one that takes a stand for God. As he would gather those 11 children, every time he came home when he was not traveling and preaching, he would come home. And for a solid hour, he would just talk to them about the Lord, converse with them. The Bible does say that our children will be fruitful vines around our table. Listen, I encourage you, and listen, I'm convicting myself right now. Try to get together around a dinner table. Talk to your kids. We get so caught up in our phones. Lay those phones down. Lay aside the TV. Turn it off. Get with your kids. And this is what he did every single day. Spent an hour conversing with them. And then he prayed a blessing over his kids. And a man... Later on, he was an educator. Let me see what his name is. E.A. Winship was an educator, and this was fairly recently. He looked at 150 years of Jonathan Edwards' descendants. And listen, it, you don't have to be Jonathan Edwards and be the prince of preachers and to, to be the president of Yale University or to be a name that's in our history books as one of the great revivalists. You just need to be faithful to God and His Word And you can have generations that are blessed. And this man, E.A. Winship, this man tracked his his generations for 150 years. He went back 150 years. Listen to this for just a second. As they studied Jonathan Edwards' descendants, the findings were absolutely remarkable. He had 729 descendants directly from Jonathan Edwards that they studied. Of this number, 300 preachers, 65 college professors... 30 judges, 75 military officers, 13 university presidents, 60 authors of books, three United States congressmen, and one vice president of the United States from Jonathan Edwards' descendants. Now to give you a comparison, this same man, E.A. Winship, took a man who lived in New York City by the name of Max Jukes. And Max Jukes lived an opposite life of Jonathan Edwards. He did not serve God. He did not love God. He did not live a life that was honoring to God. Quite the opposite. He plainly said, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I don't want to have anything in my future generations to do with God. He declared that. Now listen, he didn't live a life that honored God. So this man studied 1,026 of his descendants. 300 of them died prematurely. 
100 were sent to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years. 190 were public prostitutes. There were 100 drunkards. In one New York prison, they traced 42 prisoners at the time of the study back to Max Jukes. I see young couples in here today. I see young couples that are here that are getting ready to get married even in a few weeks. My encouragement to our young families as we begin this series on families and the ties that bind us together, how to have a good marriage, how to raise your kids. And again, I'm not an expert. I think that I've probably done as much wrong as I've done right. But I do love the Lord. Amen. And I do take a stand on what His Word says. But to look at those two lineages, I want to tell you today, our kids need to get the real thing. Young families who are just having kids, we're dedicating one of our new babies here in just a couple weeks as you're as you're having your families, understand that the decisions you make to follow God have a far greater impact. I think of Lorena's dad and Miss Wilda that's right there. The heritage, Miss Lorena. The heritage of your mom and daddy. Why? Because they took a stand for Jesus. I think of so many in this room. I think of the shepherds who were so instrumental in this church in its early days and Kenneth the Busk and so many others that have gone on before us who in this community just simply said, we want the generations in Homosassa to be blessed. So we are going to stand for God and we're going to stand because, listen, our kids need the real thing. They need the real thing. Amen? Amen. We're going to have communion. Guys, if you'd begin to, to pass out those elements, please. I would appreciate. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And there are no accidents with God. The table is an invitation from a king to come into his presence to celebrate according to the word of God and remember what he has done for us. To remember his goodness and remember his mercy this morning. Thank you, Reverend Bill. How many say I want my generations to be blessed? Amen. We're going to pray that today as we end here in just a few minutes. It's what I saw as I prayed about this study and the subject of families. Is that God is anointing some of you to be that patriarch. Listen, you may be young. You may be a, a single mom with a couple of kids. Can I tell you, God can anoint you as a patriarch. He will anoint you. He he will anoint you that others look and they say, I want the blessings that they have. Because everybody understand, God is a God of blessings. To bless our future generations. That those who bless you are blessed and those curse you are cursed. But today we're going to celebrate here at the end of our service this precious understanding that as we come to the table...
we literally come as one beggar asking for bread this morning. And it is a king's invitation. I think when I take communion, I try to remind myself of that. So I'll remind you this morning that a king has invited you to the table of the Lord this morning. Amen. King Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you come to a king, you come a certain way. I think one of the things that we need to remind ourselves of is that when we come to the table to share in communion together as a family, one of the things the Bible encourages us to do is just simply examine ourselves. Amen? So bow your head and close your eyes. Give the Holy Spirit some room here today just to examine our hearts, examine our attitudes. If there's any sin to be confessed, I want to invite you before we partake of communion to have that time and I'll give you a couple minutes as Alexis just continues to, pl- to play softly on the piano. The Holy Spirit's here. I felt His presence since the moment I walked into this church this morning. And He's here just to maybe point out a couple things that doesn't line up with coming into the presence of a king. So the confession is something that we do to say, Lord, forgive me of that attitude. Forgive me of arguing with maybe my spouse this morning or Forgive me for something I looked at. Whatever it is that the Lord convicts you of. And the beauty of the Lord's conviction of this is condemnation will leave you hopeless. Conviction will lead you to the hope that is in the cross of Christ. So as she plays, just quietly there reflect and examine yourself. understand this as a holy moment and we treat it as such because we are doing this today not out of routine and not out of any religious ritual or habit but God we're remembering that we have a king that gave himself for us the most precious gift that has ever been given to mankind is the gift of the son the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, as you sat around that table and you told your disciples to do this in remembrance of you, today we do that. Lord, we come with hearts of gratitude for so great a salvation. We come with hearts of gratitude for the blessings that are upon our life. We have food on our table. We have a roof over our head. We have a vehicle to leave today and get into. We have the health of our bodies. Father, if there be anybody under the sound of my voice today that is struggling physically in their body, I pray that this would be healing and life to them, Father. Father, as we examine ourselves, God, as we pull back the curtain on the real self today, I know there's many things that I've certainly thought or did and God, I haven't gone a single day without sinning in some form or fashion, even if it's something I knew to do that was good and I just didn't do it.
God, that's where your grace touches us. So, Father, we are grateful for grace. We are grateful for celebration of the body and the blood. And, Lord, you said that as we come together under the banner of that grace and forgiveness, that it would bring your people into unity. So, Father, today I pray there would be unity in this body, that we would be one heart, one desire, and of one accord, that, Father, we love you. And we follow you with all of our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name. Matthew 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Hold that bread up this morning. Father, this is the body of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate today that by your stripes we were healed. The body that was beaten and broken and battered and bruised, we honor the body. We honor the body today by honoring one another because we are the body of Christ here at this church. And corporately throughout this county with every other church that names the name of Jesus. So Lord, you told us to break the bread, to take and eat because this is your body. I pray it would be health to our heart, our soul, and our physical bodies today. In Jesus' name. Take and partake of the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink all of it for this is my blood of the New Testament, New Covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Hold that cup up before you. Lord, we thank you, God, for the blood. We thank you for the blood that flowed down Calvary, that we may be forgiven, that we may now have access to our Heavenly Father, not through good works, but of faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. We honor your blood in this house. God, I plead the blood of Jesus over each person, God, that's in your kingdom. I pleaded over the families that you would raise up a hedge of protection through the blood. God, you would put angels around our children and our children's children, God. That we pray as patriarchs of our families and those who stand against the enemy and what he would try to do. Father, as patriarchs today, we honor the blood. And we say, may that crimson thread flow through generation to generation. May our families be families who call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. May the blessings of God through the blood of Christ be ours through faith in your sacrifice. And we honor that sacrifice now, Lord Jesus, as we partake of the cup of Christ. You may partake this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift your hands right there. Oh, we honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. God, I just want to say in this moment, thank you for so great a salvation. Thank you for saving me, thank you for saving so many others here. I want to extend that invitation before we dismiss here in just a moment that you came in and you've been hearing about family lines and you've been hearing about things in generations past that may have been spiritually passed down. 
And you may want to make a commitment today and say, I'm going to take a stand and my family is going to be blessed. And the first step of that commitment is making a commitment to Christ and his kingdom. So I want to ask this before we stand and pray and dismiss. Is there anybody in this house today that says, I want to make a commitment to Christ. I want my generations to be blessed. We want to pray with you this morning. Just shoot that hand up. Anybody? Amen. Amen. Those lights are kind of tough, y'all. Praise God. We're all believers in the house this morning. Won't you stand with me? I want to invite you, if you can, come back this evening at 630. Now listen. Tonight will take the place of tomorrow night's prayer meeting. So our prayer meeting is tonight. It's the last night of our fast. I hope that the Lord has blessed you through the fast and you've prayed uh, in unity every single day. I'm sure about many things, but we've all been praying the same things on the same day. And tonight we're just going to come in. I want you, I want you to come relaxed. If you want to wear a t-shirt and uh, man, if you want to wear shorts, it's going to be 80 degrees today. Praise God for that. Amen. Ooh. Never thought I'd say it, but I'm ready again for things not to be quite so cold. But tonight's just going to be real relaxed. We're going to come in and we're going to kick off in worship. And Alexis and the team are going to lead us in the presence of God. And we're just going to see where the Holy Spirit leads. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our generations. Amen. We're going to pray that the, the, the lost are found and the founder discipled in this house. Amen. We're going to pray for breakthrough in our community and a, a moving of the Spirit of God right here in Homosassa, Florida. How many believe God can do that? Amen. Amen. Well, if you believe it and you raise your hand, come back and pray it into existence. Amen? Amen? Because God wants us to partner with Him in everything that we do. Father, I bless Christian Center Church today. May they be blessed as they have come in and may they be blessed as they're dismissed. May your holy presence, Father, be with us and upon us as we go because, Lord, we never depart from your presence. But may we continually have the understanding that you are with us continually. As you said, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the earth. So God, today, be with the people of God. Put a hedge of protection around them. God, I pray that your face would turn towards them, smile and shine upon them, and you would give them peace and you would give them rest, Father. Protect them until you call us back together at the appointed time this evening for those who are able to come, Lord. I bless the people of God in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Come back tonight if you can. God bless. Oh, one more thing. I had mentioned uh, several times, just listen to me real quick. I mentioned, I forgot to mention it last Sunday. We are raising the money for the remainder of our sign. It blew down in one of the storms. Uh, insurance has, has helped us out, but we need to raise about $10,000. You guys have been so great and faithful. We still have a few more thousand to go, but so if the Lord leads, write sign on the memo or write it on the tithe envelope so we can direct those monies. Thank you for what you've done. Just got a little bit more to go, so if you want to get part of that and help in that sign thing, that would be a tremendous blessing. Tithe offering boxes are in the back. We have online giving too.